The following message is entitled, The Marks of Superjoy Suffering, Part 5. This message was given during the evening service on July 24, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Sermon title that's in the note sheet for the people here, but for those in remote listening, it's The Marks of Superjoy Suffering, Part 5. And I'll review what the marks are from 1 Peter 1.6. But introductory thoughts first for this evening. A tongue twister for you. Persevering for a prolonged period of problematic pain. This is the problem. Number one in your note sheet. Let's jump right into it. The problem with a series on enduring suffering is quite plain. Christians have never liked endurance and never will. Christians have never liked endurance and never will. You may wonder, well, why? Well, this problem goes way back to the New Testament right here in James 4, our introductory passage. If you want to know the reason why, write it down under number one. Just write the question why. It's because sin is pleasurable, suffering isn't. It's as simple as that. Sin is super pleasurable. It's called the passing pleasures of sin. James chapter 4. But there are consequences for pleasure that is wrong. Verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source your pleasures that continuously wage war in your members. Members is not referring to members of a church. There is nowhere in the New Testament where church membership is mentioned. So that would be a horrific interpretation of that. Members is referring to your body. Okay? And so what we have here are pleasures are in the mind, but activate through the body. And there are two major pleasures that are activated through the body, food, hunger, and sexual desire. So that would predominantly be what he's referring to because of verse 2. You lust and do not have. So pleasures are enjoyable, but they have consequences. One consequence is in verse 1, quarrels and conflicts. And then another is in verse 2 that we looked at this morning. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Uh, It doesn't mean that they were literally murdering each other as believers. Uh, That certainly could have been the case, but probably not. What's happening here is Christ said if you hate somebody in your heart, you you want to murder them. So hate is a mental form of murder. And that would be supported by the next internal struggles. You are envious and cannot obtain. So envy and hate lead to fighting and quarreling. You do not ask because you you do not have because you do not ask. And we talked about that this morning. So right there you can see that uh, sin is pleasurable, suffering is not. Though we suffer greatly from sin after the pleasure. That's why sin is called the passing pleasures of sin. Because then it's replaced with guilt and defilement. Verse 4, you adulteresses, spiritual adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So any Christian who is a friend of the world is a adult, spiritual adulteress. Why is it pluralized? Because he's talking to Jews. 
most likely, and not pluralized, feminized. It's adulteresses, um, probably because Israel is known as a, uh, is always known grammatically in the feminine gender. And he's talking predominantly to uh, Jewish believers. So he would, Israel is a feminine gender, for whatever reason. It's a grammatical issue. There's no rhyme or reason to gender in grammar for any language on the planet ever. It's just a, it just happens. I've researched that and there's no real rhyme or reason toward it. Unless, of course, it's like he said something, then they make said the verb male gender. But apart from that, random nouns that have gender, there's no point to it. Anyways, I'm rambling. So verse 4, the point here is that um, if we love the world, and that is shown by unrepentant lust in verse 2, then we're hostile towards God. We're enemies of God. Number two in your note sheet. So, number one, the problem with a series like this is nobody likes suffering, nobody likes enduring. And yet, number two, the Christian life, however, is wired for suffering and persecution. This is the conundrum. We love pleasure, especially in a society that feeds our pleasures. And Christianity is wired for suffering and persecution. I wanted to have some pleasure this past week while I still could. Uh, strawberry, uh, small strawberry Wendy's Frosties are still available. Only $2.20 with tax. And uh, so I decided I'm going to get one. And I drove over there and the line was all the way around Wendy's. I thought, seriously? I mean, how far gone do you have to be to be at the doors in your vehicle on the south side of Wendy's waiting to get all the way around to the doors on the north side. Well, they were. Well, I wasn't wanting a Wendy's strawberry, small strawberry that bad. Forget that. Why would they do that? Why would they suffer in a line that long, which probably take a half hour to get to the uh, menu? Pleasure, right? Nobody would do that if it was pay your taxes here. There wouldn't be a line around unless it was April 15th or whatever. Pleasure drives sacrifice, see? But the Christian life completely contradicts that. And this is where Christians run into a wall. They want comfort, they want pleasure, they want their problems gone, but yet the Christian life is wired for suffering and persecution. In your note sheet, why is suffering necessary in the Christian life? Four reasons. Reason number one, it is God's will to suffer. Whether you like it or not, you want to be a Christian, this is the club you joined. You can't get out of it. Every chapter in 1 Peter is on suffering. We're in 1 Peter 1, verse 6, which is on suffering. Every chapter is on suffering. It's the suffering epistle. Look at chapter 4's take on suffering. Turn over there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. Notice, don't, why, why are we shocked at this? Oh, bad stuff's in my life. I'm so shocked. Why are we surprised? Because we don't expect it. We don't believe that we're wired for suffering. Testing. Only those, it's, you know, it says it comes upon you for your testing. Only those who don't believe that they should suffer would, would ever agree to this verse here. 
Uh, who's it being tested for? Not for God. God doesn't need our, our lives to be tested, our Christian testimony. Suffering is testing our own faith, as James 1 tells us. Verse 12, as though some strange thing was happening to you. This is what Christians do. I don't understand this. Why is this happening to me? Because they think it's strange. Why should I have suffering? It's not strange. We shouldn't. It comes upon every believer. Verse 13, for the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. I mean, that's a basic reason. We are, it's God's will to suffer because Christ suffered in the flesh. So why should we get off the hook? Right? So that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. So we're not rejoicing in pain. We're rejoicing in the opportunity to suffer like Christ. Verse 14, if you're reviled, that defines suffering here in this context anyways. Uh, the word means to be severely insulted or denounced for the name of Christ. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, then that can come through witnessing or living the Christian life. Either way, can bring a lot of problems with family, neighbors, work situations. Just tell your boss when he asks you to lie for him and you're not going to do it, you're going to be reviled for the name of Christ, even if you don't give him the gospel. So a Christian ethic can bring suffering for the name of Christ just as well as actually giving the gospel. It says you're blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. It comes from the Holy Spirit there. That's a marvelous gift. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. It's a special gift to those that suffer. It means to refresh. It spiritually refreshes you. That's what's supposed to happen when we suffer. Verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. So we don't want to gain suffering by sinning. We will do that anyways to ourselves. Verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. And go down to verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, what's according to the will of God? The will of God is verse 14. The will of God's suffering is not verse 15. So when he says suffering according to the will of God, that's according to verse 14. Basically, suffering for doing God's will. They are to entrust their souls to a faithful creator. And this is coming up in 1 Corinthians 10 tonight. It all goes back to, I trust my faithful God for God's will for suffering. When I don't want to suffer, it's very simple. I don't want God's will. I don't trust him. He's not faithful. That answers everything, folks. It's as simple as that. Why do I run from suffering? Why do I hate hardship in my life? It's right there in verse 19. I don't want his will. I am not entrusting my mind to a creator that is unfaithful in doing what is right. And this same issue comes up in 1 Corinthians 10. I reject suffering in my life because I view God as unfaithful. That's reason number one. Number two. Why must Christianity be necessary for us to suffer? Number two, suffering is partnered with the pursuit of godliness. You can't get to the other side of the bridge of godliness without going over the bridge of suffering. Suffering is partnered with the pursuit of godliness. You can't be godly without suffering. That's that testing back in verse 12. 
It exposes us for who we are. When we don't rejoice in suffering, when we don't endure in suffering, then the suffering exposes us as not being godly. It brings us to repentance. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy three. Paul in verse ten says, Now you follow my teaching. That's wonderful. We love to be taught. But look at the last word of verse ten of Second Timothy three. Perseverance. Oh, there we go with endurance again. Bummer. Verse eleven, persecutions and suffering. They were following him. So if the apostles suffer, you suffer. If the apostles suffer, it's because Christ suffers. So no suffering means I'm not a believer. I'm not in his will. Okay, and out of all the Lord rescued me. Look at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to be godly, to live godly, will be what? Persecuted. You're going to suffer if you want to be godly. You want to stop godliness? I'll give you two steps on how to, I mean, stop suffering. Two steps. Number one, stop repenting. Number two, run from God's will. All the suffering will stop initially. It will be pleasurable. All your problems will initially disappear, like back in James 4, passing pleasures of sin. Stop repenting. Stop doing God's will. The, the, you'll be comfortable. You'll be out of a lot of hardships. And then what happens to godliness in verse 12? <laughs> Down the tubes. Do you know why suffering and godliness are partners, by the way? You can write it down number, under number 2. Do you know why godliness and suffering? Because the world hates God. And the word God is in godliness. So if you're going to be like God, the world will hate you, which means you will suffer. Okay? So the more you're like God, being godly, the more you suffer because the world all around you will hate you and carnal Christians will hate you. Reason number three why suffering is necessary in the Christian life, in your note sheet. Christ suffered in the flesh, and we're called to be like him. That was back in 1 Peter 1. We won't go back there to 1 Peter 4, excuse me. We won't go back there. Christ suffered in the flesh, and we're called to be like him. So this is the great conundrum that I've faced and this is why backsliders are so incredibly selfish. Well, don't you want to be like the Lord? When someone complains to me about suffering, I'll eventually ask them that. Go back to 1 Peter 4. Let me just show you this again. We were in actually verse 12. I want to go to verse 1. Don't, don't you want to be like Jesus? Well, yeah, I'd like to be like Jesus in the nice areas. What about suffering? He, he, he suffered all the way to, to death for you. No. No. You see, see, it's like, I want all the good stuff, Lord, but I don't want any of the bad stuff. So I want to be like you, like holy, but I don't want to be like you, like suffering. That is incredibly narcissistic. First Peter 4.1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. It can't be any plainer than that. We are to accept suffering because Christ suffered. Arm yourself is a military term. It's only used here in the New Testament. Arm to arm yourself, make ready, equip militarily. You've got to stand ready for this. If you want to be Christ-like, you want to be like him then. 
So you should want to suffer like he suffers. Reason number four. Suffering restrains sin. Suffering restrains sin. An unfortunate translation is right here in this, still in this verse 1. It's unfortunate. There's a broad spectrum of range for that word ceased. Um, look what verse 1 says. Because he who has suffered, that would be believers in the flesh, has ceased from sin. Oh, so Peter's telling me if I suffer, I'll stop sinning. That's not, ceased in our English language means stop. In some contexts, it can mean that. But there's a very large range semantically of meaning. So ceased is a terrible translation. Hinder or restrained is within the definition range of this verb. It's a perfect middle indicative. He who has suffered in the flesh has chosen to let suffering hinder their sin. There's a correlation one for one between backsliding and avoiding confrontation and suffering. That's why backsliders get out of God's will. They don't want the problems with God's will. They don't want the suffering. Backsliders avoid counsel and avoid discipleship and admonishment because they don't want that. So their sin just multiplies. Suffering creates conf confrontation of our sin nature, which is to drive us to repentance. So ceased is referring to being hindered. Sin can decrease. Suffering can help us decrease sin. I mean, this is just so common sense scripturally. You can't just go have fun with evil if you're at war with this world for sin because of your righteous stand. It's going to tame down any desire for the passing pleasures of sin. So number one in your note sheet was, this is a problem. Christians don't like it. Number two, sorry. You don't like it. Stop being a Christian. Number three... Therefore, since we cannot avoid suffering in the flesh and still claim to be saved, we need to be armed for the same purpose. That's kind of a dramatic statement, and I'll repeat this from what I've said earlier in the series. Therefore, since we cannot avoid suffering in the flesh and still claim to be saved, that's one that Christians don't accept, okay? It's like, well, okay, you're telling me I have to suffer for Christ. If I refuse to suffer for Christ, that means I'm not saved. Well, yeah, because it's one of the major eight wills of God for truly born-again Christians. So take any of the other seven, and let's just negate those. Okay, there's eight. God's will is this statements in the Bible. Eight. Okay? So this one, which is in 1 Peter 4, you just read it, God's will is that you suffer. Uh, why can't I just, you know, be truly saved? Just because I don't like suffering, I'm not saved? Yeah, that's exactly right. If you reject suffering as part of your Christian life, you're not saved. Well, how could you say that? That's, that's legalistic. All right, well, let's take the first one. God's will is that not anyone would perish but be saved. So can you be saved if you reject salvation? <laughs> how about spirit-filled? Who says i got to be spirit-filled, led by the Spirit? I reject spirit-filled. I reject being led by the Spirit in Ephesians 5. Oh, really? Wow. But you can be a growing Christian and a true believer if you reject spirit-filled. Wow. Sanctified. First Thessalonians 3 says God's will is that you be holy. I reject holiness. And you're telling me because I reject holiness I can't be saved? Yeah. <laughs> but we come along to that suffering one. Oh. 
that's my out. I, I can reject suffering, but still know I'm saved. Really, uh-uh. Reject any of the eight. Saved, spiritual, sanctified, suffering, serving. That's a good one, serving. I, I refuse to serve in the church with my spiritual gifts. Not saved. You know what a, we call in the Bible what should be called a believer who comes, sits, listens, and leaves their entire Christian life? An unbeliever going to hell. God's will is that you serve with your spiritual gifts. That's in the Bible, too. So you go down through the list, you can't get away from this. This is part of your Christian life. Okay? So we need to be armed for the same purpose. And the two weapons we need for suffering, the two weapons, number three, mega joy, number one in your note sheet, number two, endurance. Those are the, those are the weapons you need to be armed with. Mega joy, not joy over pain, joy that I can suffer for Christ. And endurance, remain under. Endurance is remaining under. Let's refresh ourselves what endurance means. Any suffering in your life, you let it ride. You don't make a decision to remove it. You leave it for God to remove it. You don't remove suffering from your life. Unless the suffering is because of sin, then you remove it. Or if the world asks you to compromise the word morally or spiritually, then you don't do it. Okay? This is incredibly simple. Whatever suffering's in your life, leave it. So I should never go to the doctor. No, we're talking spiritual issues of suffering, not if you have to get some operation, okay? We would get an operation to extend our lives so we can continue to do his will. I, I hope nobody is that far gone that they would think that that is what I'm saying. Well, I guess we're to leave suffering, so I should never take a pill for my headache, and I should never go to the doctor. <laughs> this is spiritually suffering for Christ. Not because your body's fallen, breaking down, and you need to see a doctor. Are we all clear on that? Okay, I hope so. That's kind of a wise guy answer over the years I've gotten back. Oh, okay, so I'm just to let suffering go, John. I've had in counseling over the past years. So I guess, uh, you know, smirk on the face, I shouldn't take a pepsid for acid reflux. Or you know. I'm hot, I'm tired, and I'm irritated over that thought, okay? <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. That's the most ridiculous thing. I'm saying it with a smile, though. Enjoy, Phil. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Angelic look here. In my entire life, coming from someone who is acting like a spiritual moron. So anything where you're suffering in your life, circumstantially, that is tempting you spiritually... Emotionally, circumstantially, you leave it there and respond with joy. Endurance means remain under. doesn't mean run. Hupa meno. Hupa. Under meno. Remain. But go back to the problem in the introduction. The tongue twister, persevering for a prolonged period of problematic pain. No believer likes that, and most fight it at all costs. We seem to think that this one's optional. It's not. This has been around a long time. You know, if you say, oh boy, we're really bad in this day and age because we struggle with having to suffer. It's just the wicked last days. No, it's not. This has been a problem all down through church history from the New Testament on. 
I was just reading this week in Pilgrim's Progress from Bunyan. Listen to what he says about this. This is, this is like 344 years ago. Not like, actually, it was 1678 when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. But listen to what he said back then when he was sitting in prison. He's describing two Christians in his Pilgrim's Progress. Anyone not read that? You should read that. That should be like foundational to your life. Yeah, Christian and Hopeful are two characters. And they journey through this land of the Christian life. It's a wonderful book. You want to get the uh, modern version of it, though. Don't go back to the old English, because you'll end up uh, uh, metaphorically slitting your intellectual throat if you try to read it in 1611 English. So uh, get a modern version of it, and you'll do just fine. But please, don't go on Netflix and search it down by video, okay? That, that's like so polluted down, it's not even Diet Coke anymore, and it's even clear. It's just clear water. You know, that, that's what happens when you try to watch some of these things on TV. So there's these two characters, Christian and Hopeful, and they've partnered together to go through the Christian life. Now listen to what happens to Christian and Hopeful 344 years ago. Quote, Christian and Hopeful had not journeyed far in the Christian life when the way became rough and their feet tender. The souls of these two pilgrims were much discouraged because of the way, the way of Christianity, and they wished for a better way. Oh, does that sound like today? Yeah. So listen, you're not alone, neither am I. We don't like pain. It is problematic. So what happened to them? They found a better way. If you want a better way, you can find it, right? Sure you can. Passing pleasures, remember? Now, a little way before them was a meadow called Bypath Meadow, and Christian said to Hopeful, Let us go over into it. There is the easiest going. Hopeful responded to Christian, What if this path should lead us out of the way? Christian says, Does it not go along the wayside? And see, this is one of the excuses, but even back in Bunyan's day, well, I'm not really giving up God's will. I'm just shifting to a parallel track. Just a little jump, that's all. Does it not go along the wayside? Hopeful began being persuaded by Christian, went over and found it to be very easy on the feet. I can relate to that right now. See, fix the problem. This is it. I told you this last Sunday night. You dump God's will, you're going to fix a lot of problems initially. So do you understand what Bunyan is saying? The way out of God's will will initially seem easier and more pleasant than the enduring sufferings of Christ. But in his brilliant dialogue here, it continues. Quote, Walking before them on this new way out of the way of God, walking before them was a man called Vain Confidence, who affirmed that this was the way to the celestial city. So you'll run into carnal believers that'll tell you, oh, that's good, just forget God's will, go on this way, it's just nice. Find the easy way. So vain confidence. He comes up to Christian Hopeful and says, hey, they're all three of them now are on this path out of the way, paralleling the road here in the meadow. And vain confidence says, oh, this is good, you're on the right way, see? But the night came on. And it grew very dark, and they heard vain confidence fall into a deep pit. He was leading the way, and he was dashed in pieces with his fall. A storm arose, and hopeful groaned, oh, that I had kept on the right way. So what are we talking about here? Write it under number three, the blank lines. 
out of God's will is easier first and destroys you later. We believe that by faith. Being out of the way, out of God's will, is easier at first and destroys you later. Why does it destroy you later? Because getting out from under suffering, you've just destroyed the path that God wanted you in. Thus, you've destroyed the work of God in your life. Oh, that I'd kept on the right way. That was when Christian and Hopeful realized, now listen, this is an incredible principle at this point in Pilgrim's Progress. I put this as one of the major principles to learn from the entire book, so don't miss it, okay? As you're killing the mosquitoes that are sucking off of your sweat-filled arm right there. Don't miss it. That was when Christian and Hopeful realized it is easier for a believer to go out of God's way than for a believer to go back into God's way once out. Did you catch that? It's easier to get out of God's will, and once you are, you will find it very hard to get back in. It's easier for a new comfort to accept suffering and endurance many times than long-term believers, I've found. Um, you live decade after decade as a believer in comfort, and this, this is almost impossible. You can get a new convert, if you disciple them correctly, you can get them to potentially accept suffering. And they'll say, well, anything's better than hell. Sure, I accept that. Jesus died for me. But take a believer who's been addicted to comfort out of the way of suffering for decades. A Christian who loves the lap of luxury and is out of suffering, claiming to be a Christian and is out of the way for decades, and get that person to turn around and come back into God's will and accept suffering is virtually impossible. Older believers who live their entire lives for ease and comfort and who avoid suffering, they have no need for endurance. They never will. They reject it no matter what the Bible says. There are consequences for jumping out of suffering. And the consequences are deadly. First Peter chapter 1. It is God's will that we suffer. Even though for now for a little while, if necessary, verse 6, it is necessary to suffer. So you live in the will of God. And when suffering comes your way, you let it sit there. You let it sit there. Why do we do that? Because it's God's will. He puts it in. He removes it. Then he'll bring other suffering. Then he may remove it. May not. God is sovereign. Now, if you'll notice in your note sheet, the outline at the bottom, four marks of Christian suffering, thus the sermon title. And we're still in this first one, even though now for a little while, even though now for a little while, your entire life, a little while represents your entire life, you're going to, every day, have a potential for suffering. To try to avoid it is to declare you are out of God's will and you are not a believer. It is just if you try to declare any of the other seven are null and void. I'm sorry, I got to say, but I wasn't down for that sanctified, spiritual, serving, sophied, uh, satisfied, um, all those other wills of God. I, I wasn't in on those. I just wanted salvation. Nobody ever told me back then 
that I was going to suffer. So what's the deal with that? I don't want any of that. Well, then you're not a believer. And I'm not a believer if we do that. So as it says under Mark number one at the bottom of your note sheet, we have no idea how long any suffering will take place other than the fact that God is the one who takes care of it. And that brings us for the next five minutes only back to 1 Corinthians 10. Since we don't have any idea on the back of your note sheet, we don't know how long a little while is. We need endurance. You need endurance because you don't know how long. Okay? If we knew how long, it would be easier. If you told me, for instance, I, had, I may have had an opportunity to go to a Cubs game this Tuesday or not, but I, I, can't, I can't go to a Cubs game because I can't endure it. <laughs> Physically, actually, is, there's a whole bunch of reasons. But anyways, let's just use that as an illustration. Uh, you hate going to Cubs. Yeah, I hate going to Cubs. Um, but it's only nine in innings. Oh, okay, okay, nine innings, two and a half hours, maybe. I can put up with that. But what if somebody said to me, um, once you get into the Wrigley Field, uh, there's no guessing how many innings it is. It could be nine or 90. Now I've got to count the cost. 90? Yeah. Will there be food? <laughs> little while look at that number four at the top of your note sheet little while nine innings God's not telling how long do I have to put up with the trial I'm currently in a little while how long is that that's why you need endurance as soon as Peter wrote on the inspiration as soon as Peter wrote that that included endurance. Somebody wants number three repeated again, so let me give that to you on the front side. The blanks to number three. Therefore, since we cannot avoid suffering in the flesh and still claim to be saved, since we cannot avoid suffering in the flesh and still claim to be saved, we need to be armed for that same purpose. The two weapons we need for suffering are mega joy and endurance. Okay? Since we cannot avoid suffering and still claim to be saved, we need mega joy and we need endurance. Now, back on, on the back side, number four, then, little while is what breeds the endurance concept. 1 Corinthians 10. Okay? On the back side of your note sheet. 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 13, as your note sheet says, we have to grasp spiritual endurance. This is the best place to figure out what it means to remain under a trial. That's number five in your note sheet at the top on the back, grasping spiritual endurance. We've seen no temptation is referring to tests, not to temptations towards sin. We saw that. Contextually, number two, seized you. It says in verse 13, has overtaken you. And that's, uh, the idea is to quickly lay a hold of you, to aggressively lay a hold of you. So that uh, seized you or overtaken you shows that God considers any test a major deal for you. It's not easy. It's a no-duh issue. Again, in counseling over the years, I've had Christians say, this is, you don't understand how hard it is. No-duh. That's what that overtaken means. 
to seize you and grab you. This is not something fun. Oh, my suffering is just going to be a little feather tickling on your face every night at midnight, and that's going to annoy you, but you can handle it. No, overtaken is slammed to grab something aggressively. This is what God's doing in your life, because it takes a lot to break us of sin's grasp upon us. Now, number three, common to man, so no woe is me, right? Oh, this is unique to me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Ridiculous. Again, hot, sweaty, ticked off. I can't help it. This is common to man. Anthropinas, related to human nature. It's even common with unbelievers. You can have unbelievers, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, who are suffering terribly, just like you. They just don't have Christ. So overtaking is endemic. It is in the nature of being human. We are delusional to think we can live for comfort. Not even unbelievers can do that. And they're not having Satan attack them like he does us. Because they're already in his camp. And here's the bomb in conclusion tonight. What is the foundation of endurance? It's number four in your note sheet. God is what? Say it loud. So fill it in, number four. This really is the foundation of this entire discussion on joy when suffering and enduring when suffering. This really is the foundation of this whole discussion on joy when suffering and enduring when suffering. It's a one-word answer. This is not complicated. You say, John, what is my root problem when I don't accept suffering in my life? We believe God is supremely unfaithful. That is the root. That is the elevator going to the subterranean bottom floor of quitting on suffering in the Christian life. God is unfaithful. No test has seized you aggressively, but what is common to humans, you're not alone. And let's not forget this, God is faithful. When we gripe about trials, as they were doing in verse 10, when we avoid trials, seek to stop suffering, we are really saying this, God, you're not faithful. How, what's the connection there? Because all suffering, other than our own sin suffering, is there from God. If I'm trying to get out from under it, I'm getting out from under what God is doing. What God is doing to me is wrong. Again, suffering is all from God. When I try to get away from it, I'm getting away from what God wants. God is unfaithful for doing this to me. That's where you repent. Right there. You honestly admit to God. You raise your eyes up to him and I say, you are an unfaithful Lord and Savior. That's telling the truth. By the way, this is intensive. It does, intensive means it's not like how it's written and God is faithful. That's not how it reads in the Greek. It reads in the Greek, faithful now is God. Yeah, that's actually in my notes, actually. 1 Corinthians 1.9. Just 
can't get to it unless you'd like to sweat for another 30 minutes. He just gave a reference for me. That's excellent. Yes, we're actually going to get to that next week. Let's just define this word faithful tonight, and then we'll leave. God is loyal. That's what this word means. Literally, patho, the root of it is patho. It means to be persuaded. What does that mean? You're persuaded that God is loyal. He is full of faithfulness. So let's stick that in there. I don't want this. I'm going to get out of it. I'm sick of this. I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. I'm done. God, hello, you are disloyal to me. How's that for blasphemy? Mm -hmm. This is the foundation. You don't, have, you don't need 16 weeks of counseling, you and I, folks, when you're trying desperately in your life to get out from under the sufferings that you're in. You can use all the excuses you want. It comes down to this. This is ground zero, right in the middle of verse 13, on the greatest New Testament verse on endurance that I have found. And the root issue is this. Are we clear on this? Don't go telling God, no, you believe he's faithful. If we want to get out from his will, we want to get out from it because we think he's unfaithful. Don't start changing the story here. Why did Christian and Hopeful jump into the meadow? They didn't think God's way was good. God is unfaithful. I'm going here instead. Why do all the Christians leave bad communities? God is unfaithful. Really? John? Yeah, really. If my only reason for running is because of suffering and crime, and I don't like it, and God doesn't want me in suffering and crime, but I'm here, so God is unfaithful. Or I'm going to dump this spouse who harasses me day and night. The only time I get any peace is when I'm asleep. That was not a self-testimony, by the way. So we dump that turkey. We unload that turkey. Get divorced. Why? Because sticking with a shrew would mean that God is unfaithful. You're just loyal. i got to get in and fix this. Moving from nasty neighbors, same thing. doesn't matter what the context is in your life. Running equals God is unfaithful. And I have references for next time to remind us just how loyal God is to us. But why is he making me suffer? If I made somebody suffer, that would be sadistic. No, it wouldn't, unless you're a sadist. There's suffering that's sadistic, right? If every time you came up to me, I poked you with a knife and laughed, that's sadistic suffering. I'm taking joy in your pain. Ooh, look, you're bleeding now. God's not sadistic. His suffering isn't sadistic. He's not goody-goody. I'm torturing you. I love how you squirm. He's doing it because we're corrupt. I gave you the four reasons why he's got suffering in your life. And one of them is you can't get godly unless you go through this path of suffering. But we whine, don't we? All of us. Oh, yeah, we do. We don't like it. I mumbled and groaned when I had to get a second job. <laughs> Do this to me. I finally figured it out the hard way myself. None of us are exempt from this trial and this temptation. 
of whining over suffering, but we have to get by it or we're shipwrecked. Later on down the line, Christian and Hopeful, the meadow, they got around the pit that vain confidence fell in. Then they ended up in prison for a while. God was going to teach them a lesson. So God chastised Christian and Hopeful by throwing them in prison. Eventually, God let them out. They got back on the path, made it to glory because they repented. Repentance is the key. Thank you, Father, so much. We leave now with your word upon our hearts. May it weigh heavy upon us to bow before your faithfulness and say anything in my life that is miserable is from you unless it's caused by my sin. In Jesus' name, amen.